0: Morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. I'm Matt, if we haven't met. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm uh, the student ministry director here. I work with uh, uh, the high school and the junior high school students. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, if you haven't been here uh, before, or maybe you haven't been here in a little while, we've been in the middle of a series uh, called The Reason for Me. And we're asking a big question that you know a lot of people ask, which is, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose in life? And that's a question we all deal with. Uh, this morning, I'd like to start by just looking at that question a little bit differently. Something I've thought about before. Maybe I'm weird and you've never thought about this. But the question is, why did God create people at all? Like, why did he create anybody? You know, maybe you've never thought about that. But it's a good question. I mean, was he lonely? Was he, you know, sitting in the dark in eternity, just bored out of his mind, thinking it's Friday and I got nothing to do? Um, That's not really the picture of god that you get in the bible But it begs the question then why did god make us did did he make us because he was lonely? No Uh, The bible says that god made us because he's loving That he's full of love And that he he's not empty uh, That he's overflowing and so he created Us people he created everyone to share God wants to share He wants to share his love He wants to share his life And he wants to share the work that he's doing in the world. God is working in the world, and he wants us to have a piece of that and to be a part of that. God created us so that he could have a family, children, who would love him with everything they've got. The way that he loves us with everything he's got. And we've been looking at that. The reason we've been created. We've been created for relationship with God. Last week we looked at, why are you where you are? Why do you live where you do? In your time in history uh, the place that God has placed you is all an accident. There's a lot of attitude today that says um, everything's an accident. You're an accident. I'm an accident. This life's an accident. Uh, you're not an accident. God has chosen not to create every single human being who would ever live at one time, like 100 billion people or whatever the number's going to clock out to at the end of time. But he didn't make everybody at one time. He made the first man and the first woman, and he chose to unfold generation by generation And fill the earth. And this is your generation. This is your time. And he puts you here for a purpose so that you and I could reach out and know him. It's our time to get to know God like those who came before us and to do unique things that God has lined up for us to do in our life. That's that's why we're here now. Today, we're going to be looking at the reason for me and we're going to be looking at it from the angle of your family tree, The, the family you're a part of, the household you're a part of and how you can find one of the reasons for you as you play your role in your household, whatever role that may be. So I don't know what you know about your family. Most people probably know about their grandma and their grandpa, and maybe some cousins and, and brothers and sisters. There's not a lot uh, of people who know, you know, great-grandma and great-great-great-grandma. Maybe, maybe you do. Uh, I, I don't. Um, this is my grandpa and my grandma. This is my mom's parents. That's Ned Pomeniceno Alejandro and Estakia Alejandro. Those are some great names. And uh, she didn't like it when we called her Estakia. I don't know why. But she didn't like it. So, But um, she wouldn't mind now. Uh, anyway, that's my mom's parents. And uh, they were Filipino immigrants. They, they came here after World War II. They uh, lived in Palm Springs where they raised my mom and her uh, brothers. I was adopted, and that's why I don't look Filipino. But this is my dad's parents, and I look more like them. That's Richard and Patsy. Uh, he grew up in Arkansas. She grew up in Wyoming. And they met... You know, World War II, as you can see, the sailor picture. Uh, he became a police officer, raised his family in Eagle Rock, California, retired in Coachella Valley. And uh, this is my family, my dad and my mom, my sisters, uh, Debbie and Lisa, and their uh, husbands, Bobby and Mark. My parents just celebrated their 50th anniversary. So it's Mike and Sandy. And uh, like I said, they, they adopted me into their household when I was uh, just, just shy of two years old. So this is what I know about my family. I mean, I know a couple stories about my great-grandparents, but not a lot. And, you know, maybe you do. Maybe you know more. Maybe you've gone on those websites that like tell you about your past, like, you know, Tree Harmony or Tree Hugger or whatever they call it. You know, you get like a swab and they, you send it in. I, I don't want to send my DNA to somebody, you know, but you may, you may, you may know more. And um, so my experience is not your experience. But I, I do think that in America, we don't really put a lot of value on, you know, generations and our legacy and the people who came before us. We, we're kind of individualistic. We focus on ourselves and you know, achieving your goals and being yourself. And uh, and so when it comes to families and generations and family trees and, and you know legacies, like we don't talk about that much. And it it's kind of devalued a little bit. But when you read the Bible, it turns out that family trees are really important to God. I didn't know this. As I started to read the Bible, I would come across all these genealogies, which are lists of like names like this guy was father, that guy was father, that guy. They're always Jewish names that you can't pronounce and usually I just jump over it and keep going, you know. And I've asked myself the question, like, what am I supposed to get from this list of of names? Uh, Here's a picture of a genealogy. Uh, It traces from Adam to Jesus. And it's cool. But when I read something like this for a long time uh, as a Christian, I I didn't quite know what to to take away from it. And one of the things God's taught me recently is, is this shows me that God, he works through families. He's working through family trees. He's working through households. It's not an accident. His plan is to work through people. He uses families to unfold his plan of salvation. He he wants to bring the human race back into his family. He created us. We broke off the relationship. We ran away. And now we're lost to God. And God has come into this world. He's become one of us. He's humbled himself to rescue us. And he's doing that through family trees across generations. And that's pretty cool. Another thing you learn in the Bible about uh, generations and God is that he wants more of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. He wants more generations. He wants another righteous generation. So here's a typical verse you would see uh, in the Bible. It's, it's Psalm 145. It says, one generation is commending your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. God wants us to tell the next generation that he's good, that he's trustworthy. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you what he's doing in my life. He's he's someone you should know, you should love, you should follow, you should give your life to. This, this is what God wants. He wants our generation to pass on to the next generation faith and trust in Him. Uh, I saw this video on Twitter the other day where there was these two girls in England. They're they're doing a birth strike. They're not gonna have any kids because they don't want to bring people into this world. It's just too much too much problems. And uh, I mean, they're 20, so I think when they're 30, they're probably gonna change their tune probably. But that's not what God wants. He actually wants generations. He wants more kids. And he wants those kids to learn to walk with him. And he does this in households. This is a part of why God has created your family tree and what he wants to do through it, whatever role you play. So there's this tremendous potential for families to have an impact over time. That the way that you play your part in the family can not only benefit you and those around you, but it can also have a ripple effect through time. I want to show you an example of this. This is a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and he was a pastor and a theologian um, in the 1700s. And him and his wife, they were very godly, uh, very hardworking, uh, really, really solid people. And they had a, a whole bunch of kids. And really, they impacted their children so strong that it rippled generation after generation for over 150 years. So in the, the 1800s, the late 1800s, let's call it 1890, these guys were researching his family trying to get a sense of, like, where are all the descendants of Jonathan Edwards? And so they looked into it, and and here's what they found. They found that that Edwards had over 1,400 descendants, and these were really successful people. Uh, There was more than 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 100-plus professors, 62 physicians, 100 clergy and missionaries, 80 elected public offices. There was mayors and governors and, and members of Congress, Senator Aaron Burr. Not a good guy, but we'll skip that one. Uh, 60 had attained prominence and authorship. 75, look, when I look at this list, what I see is these are trustworthy, solid people that their community like lifted them up and made them leaders. These were solid people. And this was because he and his wife impacted that generation so hard that it rippled over time. And you know what? These people, they did good for the people around them. They benefited their communities. They did the good work. God had prepared for them and their generation. The the household is kind of, um, your role in the household, the role you're supposed to play in your household, the importance of your family tree, it's just not something that you see a lot of in American culture today. But as you look into the scripture and you study what God has to say, you learn this is a a very key part of the reason why he made you. This is a good example, the Jonathan Edwards example. And one one of the things that I I learned uh, just thinking about this, um, uh, is that one of the most important things that, that my wife and I may ever do is, is raise our sons, <clears throat> raise our sons to fear and know God. We have three boys, and I, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be a CEO of some big corporation. I'm probably not going to be the president or some superstar athlete or some Hollywood, you know, movie star, which is which is fine. But that doesn't mean that my life, your life, our lives doesn't have any value. And in fact, the way that we impact our household and the next generation maybe it may turn out to be one of the most significant things that we ever do. And a great example of this that's always really stuck out to me is um, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, I teach history, so I'm into history. That's why I'm commenting about Aaron Burr and stuff like that. But this is Margaret Thatcher. If you know who she is, they called her the Iron Lady. She was the prime minister of England in the 70s and the 80s, like the president. And she took over at a really bad time when England was on the decline. I mean, they were divided as a nation. Uh, trash was piling up in major cities. They had really destroyed their economy. Their empire was crumbling. It was a bad time. And she became the leader, and man, she made some really hard decisions. I mean, she made some, some choices that nobody nobody stuck with her. The the party kind of just backed off. But she, she did what was good, even though it wasn't popular. And uh, she actually turned that country around, her and some other people, and got it back on track. And a lot of people were benefited from her leadership. In fact, she's one of the reasons why the Soviet Union came down. I mean, there are hundreds of millions of people who were enslaved by the communists, and they were set free in part because of what she did, and she took some very hard positions. And when she was older they said like, "Hey, where'd you get your strength? You know, how come you're so tough and you have these convictions and, you know, who made you the iron lady?" And she would say, "My dad and my mom." Nobody knows who her dad and her mom are. Her dad's name's Alfred. He was a grocery store owner. They lived in the apartment above the grocery store. And at night time, she and her sister would see the people in the community come around the fireplace, the leaders in their community and talk about how they could make their community better. He was a preacher, a local assemblyman a local guy, but man, he imprinted his wife and, and him. They really invested in his daughter, in their daughters. And just turned out that they ended up being, she ended up being a prime minister. And she took the convictions and the faith that her father and mother passed on to her. And God used her to help a lot of people. So you just never know the impact you're going to have in your household. You just never know. And so what I'd like us to do is, is to look today at how we can maximize our impact in our household. Because it's a part of the reason for you. One of the special things you get to do as a Christian household is share Christ with other households. One of the things that God does is he uses households to spread Christianity. Oftentimes, you get the sense that that people become Christian one at a time. It's kind of a a thing of addition. But actually, and that's great. That's how I became a Christian. But but it's, it's far more typical for Christianity to grow through multiplication, for households to come to Christ. When a father or a mother, when the leaders of the household commit their lives to Christ it impacts their kids, their parents, their aunts and uncles. That's that's a very typical pattern. Your household can be a place where the gospel can be spread. So there's a couple of verses in Acts I'd like to look at. So one of the verses in Acts is Acts 11:14. It says, "He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved." Acts 16:15 says, "When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home." Acts 16:31 says they replied believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Now it goes on like this as you as you read the the book of Acts is a record of the early church and what you're watching is one person will go to another person usually the husband or the father or the head of the home or if there is no father the the leader the matriarch they'll share Jesus Christ with that person. They'll put their faith in Christ and then their kids And their grandparents and the surrounding people in the household, they'll follow as well. That happens typically. And that's something that God wants to do through our households. It's one of the reasons for where you are. And so how do you do that? How do you play your role so that Christ can use you to deepen and mature the faith of the people in your household? And also use your house to spread Christianity to other households. How does it work? And the answer is, the short answer is, we all have to play our God-designed role. God has designed family, and he's created roles for people to play. Now, I went to a play last night. My niece, uh, Elise, she was in Lion King. And, you know, everybody's playing a part. Everybody has a role. You know, the kids are playing lions, and they're playing gazelles, and they're playing, you know, other animals, and they're delivering these lines, and they're dancing. And in their minds, they have a picture of what they should be doing, and what this ideal role looks like. And they're, they're coached. Maybe they watched another play, and another person acting, and They're trying to imitate that person. We all understand what the idea is, a role. And a family is a living play. It's designed to be a picture that reflects and glorifies Jesus Christ. And so each person in the family has a role or a part to play. What's interesting is when it comes to the family, each person gets to play the part of Jesus. Each person in the family gets to play the part of Jesus. And as each of us play that role well, it turns the lights up. Our family becomes a light, like a star in the sky at nighttime. People see the way that we love and relate to each other, the way that we're playing the role of Jesus, depending on where we are in the family. And it doesn't make sense, because it always means sacrifice. It always means putting others first. It always means submission and risk and love and care. And that's just not the way of the world. And then people want to know, why, are you, why do you guys do it this way? And then you have an opportunity to share. I, I heard someone say recently, that the life should command and the lips should persuade. That the way we live should really be the thing that's giving us the moral authority. And then we simply persuade with the lips. But there's a lot of talk and not a lot of walk in the world today. And so Christ wants to teach us each how to play our role in the family so that our household can be what he designed it to be. So let's look at this. Let's start with the husbands. Husbands, husbands. And the role of husband as the head of the home has been created by God to lead the family, to lead the wife, to lead the home. Husbands are given authority to rule over their families, to protect, provide, and to preside. And so a big verse that kind of summarizes the role of how husbands are to operate in the family is Ephesians 2.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Husbands are supposed to love and sacrifice for their wives the way that Christ loved and sacrificed for the church. He poured himself out. He died so that the church could live. He he made her holy. He's investing in her. He's leading and developing her. This is what Christ wants husbands to do. It's really typical for husbands to uh, do other things, to use the privilege but not take the responsibility. But when we look at the model that God is giving us, we're supposed to be the ones who sacrifice for those that we lead. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He said, hey, everybody who's in charge in this world, they lord it over the people that they lead. Right? They, they hammer them. They take the benefits. They give people the responsibility they kind of domineering. That's not how it works in my kingdom. I'm a king and I came to serve, not to be served. I came to give my life as a ransom. So anybody who wants to be great in my kingdom has to be the servant of all. And so in Christ, we see how husbands are to lead their families towards the things that are good and in a sacrificial way. But honestly, nowadays, there's a lot of pushback to this idea. I mean, if I was to go uh, into, you know, almost any Starbucks and say, husbands should leave their wives as Christ loves the church. You know, I might get stoned. And that's because this is like totally controversial. And I've been thinking like, why is that? Why is it so controversial? Why is the idea of a husband playing the role of head playing the role of leader? So controversial. I think one of the reasons is people, they don't have a lot of good experiences. They've had some bad leaders in their lives. Another thing is, is that a lot of husbands, it's easy to kind of abdicate or just, you know, get passive and not really lead this way because it's hard and we don't know what to do. I mean, Many people don't have fathers. Many people don't really know how to do it. You, you try. It's a huge risk to lead. It's, it's hard. And that's one of the reasons why it's easy to not play the role that Christ has given us in the family. Or it could be like, who's going to take care of me? If I do this, if I sacrifice, if I go first, if I keep pouring it out, who's going to take care of me? And the answer for all of those things is, is Jesus. Jesus want, look, Jesus is a great leader. He's not calling us to imitate Our dad he's not calling us to imitate our president. He's not calling calling us to imitate other people. He's calling us to imitate him And if you if you watch how he loves and he leads he's a tremendous leader And so he wants to teach us how to lead like he does if we don't feel competent as husbands A great idea is to spend some time reading through One of the gospels the first four books of the new testament are the eyewitness accounts of the life of christ It's a great idea to go through that and say how did jesus love the church? How did he lead the church? How did he sacrifice for the church? How did he protect and provide? How did he develop his people? And then pull from that principles for how I can do that as a husband. He will make me competent. In fact, the Bible says that all of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for correcting, rebuking, training, or teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us the equipment to play our role. He'll make us competent. And then when it comes to who's going to take care of me, as I'm leading and sacrificing and pouring out the little bit of energy that I have left? The answer is Christ. He will take care of us. Now, another role is the wife. And the wife gets to play the part of Jesus too. So Ephesians says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, to your own husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, the one who saved and sacrificed and poured himself out for it, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. And this means wives, they have the part to play as well. They get to play the part of Jesus in that they are helps to their husband. Now, when I say helper, that's a very low station in our world. But helper is actually a characteristic of God himself. God is our help. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. That means comforter, helper. God helps us. It's not a lesser thing. It's an aspect of who God is. It's, it's part of who Christ is. And when wives play the role, they're glorifying Christ. They're showing that dimension of Jesus. And so helpers use their power and their strength and their ability and their talents to help their husband as he leads the family towards the things of God. Now, there's a lot of pushback here, too. This is not very feminist of me, and there's a lot of hostility to the idea of of submission, just submission in general. Look, I'm under authority. I have leaders. I have governments that I submit to. My children are under authority to me and my wife. Everyone is playing the role of Jesus as the one who submits somewhere in their life. But in the marriage, it's the role of the wife. Why is there so much pushback? Why is there so much hostility to the idea of submitting and following? I can think of three reasons, and I think they should be addressed. I think the first one is it's a question of dignity. Our culture is teaching us that if you submit yourself, that it's it's indignifying, that it's somehow degrading and humiliating and stripping you of worth. The second thing is, it's a question of equality. I mean, isn't a woman conceding that she's less than a man, second class citizen, if she submits and obeys her husband as the church obeys Christ? And the third is just like the one with the husband. It's a question of security. Who's going to take care of me when this turkey makes a bad decision, when he doesn't lead me the right way? Like, who's going to look out for me? And these are, these are good questions. I mean, this is real. But here's the deal. The answer, again, is found. Jesus gives us the answer. And so I'd like us to look at a passage of scripture that is actually, the, it's, it's a poem that the early church was, was taught and they memorized. Because it, it gives us a window into who God is. And it answers all three of these questions. It's Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11. Uh, listen to this. As I read through this, think about who is Jesus being revealed to be? What's he like as we read this? It says, have this mind among yourselves. Think this way, church. This mind is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God, the one he submitted himself to, highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So did you catch that? Jesus is God, equal in his essence, being in very nature God. But what did he do? He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He voluntarily submitted himself. Jesus takes the role of the son and submits himself to the father. So what does that mean for us? Well, what is the question? What about dignity? If it didn't cost Jesus in dignity, if he wasn't less dignified, if it didn't strip him of any dignity to be the son who submits to the father, it doesn't submit doesn't strip us of dignity to submit ourselves to authority. For wives to submit to husbands, for children to submit to their parents, for me to submit to my boss and to the government. There's no stripping of dignity because God himself has submission in himself. It's a quality of his. And each of us get to play and show that quality of Christ as we play our role. That is very weird to people. They go like this. What are you doing? What? I wouldn't let him talk to me like that. you going to let your boss talk to you like that? No. And then when you submit yourself, that seems nuts. We're going to talk about that in a second. What about, what about equality? Jesus is equal to the Father, yet he voluntarily takes the role of a son. Being in submission doesn't make you less worthy, doesn't give you less value. It doesn't in any way strip you or make you unequal. It's a different role. You're playing a different part in the play. This morning, Tim in the back told me to do something with the court. I said, okay. Tim also leads a group at Church in the Valley that I help oversee. And I've given him some instructions. I submitted to him. He submitted to me. We're all in authority. It's an aspect of the nature of God. That is so weird. Nobody knows this. But when we play these roles in the family, it just it shines and it actually comes together really good, too. And when it comes to the question of who will take care of you, if you look at the passage, God raised him from the dead. And now every angel and every human Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Gandhi, Napoleon, me, my mom, everybody is going to bow to Jesus on the last day. Everybody. That's as high as it gets. In other words, as he humbled himself and played his role, God lifted him up. And that's what God will do for us. He will do that for us because he's good. He doesn't have favorites. And so, as a wife and a husband play their role, how different is a Christian marriage? How different is a Christian household? It's, it's headship and submission. These are, these are descriptions of Jesus. And when people see this, like I said, they ask you, you know, why are you doing this? Why don't you put limitations? Why don't you protect yourself? And the answer is because we know that God is going to take care of us. We have hope. So one of the things that's interesting is Peter, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, he wrote a letter to the churches that were in Turkey, our day Turkey. Turkey for us today was a place where there's a bunch of churches, and they were seriously being persecuted. And if you read this letter to them, like, it's all about submission. You know, children submit to their, their, their parents, and wives submit to their husbands, and husbands submit to the government, and, and this person. And then it begs the question, like, but what about me? And in the, in the uh, end of this kind of section in the letter, Peter writes to these people. And he says, guess what? People are going to look at you and they're going to ask you to explain yourself. They're going to ask for you to explain why you're playing these roles, why you're doing these things. And here's what Peter says. He says, but in your heart, you set apart Christ as Lord. See, we're, we're actually trying to imitate Christ. We're playing the part of Christ. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason. Why are you doing this? For the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. When somebody says to you, Why are you sacrificing? Husband, why are you limiting yourself for your wife? You know, Mike Pence is the vice president. He got a lot of flack because he says that he doesn't have dinner or lunch or any one on one time with a woman who's not his wife. And he got ripped apart for that. But you know what he was doing? He was limiting himself to protect his marriage. Why'd you do that? He's a Christian. And there's all sorts of other ways husbands can limit and sacrifice for their family. And when the other husbands see it, they're like, why do you do that? And the answer is because God has taken care of me. God is taking care of me. God will take care of me. And that's got a name. That's called hope. That's what that is, hope. And so when they see your hope, they want to they know. And this is how we respond as people look at our family, each of us playing the part of Christ. And this makes our household shine. And this is one of the ways that God moves the gospel from household to household children you also get to play the part of christ ephesians 6 i'm sorry parents get to play the part of christ ephesians 6 4 says fathers don't exasperate your children exasperate means whack-a-mole you know don't do this stop doing that don't do that don't touch that why'd you do that and that's you know i mean let's be real my parents did that i've done that with my kids it's not great it's not what we want to do and so you know the scripture is really honest fathers don't exasperate your children Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We get to play the part of Jesus as parents, fathers and sons. I'm sorry, uh, fathers and mothers. Um, Jesus is developing us. It said in that previous passage that he's, he's training us, he's, he's transforming us, he's making us holy, right? He's instructing and developing us spiritually. And we are doing that too with our kids. And that means we have to train them. That means we have to have a plan. Like in the next three months, what's something our kid needs to, to learn how to do or what are some things they need to learn in their head, and what are some things they don't really love very much that they've got to learn to love? And, man, that's, that's hard. It's so much easier just to react. But when, when people see you intentionally training your children the way the Lord Jesus is developing his church, right, where you have a plan, where you're, you're doing your best to, to really train up your kids, that stands out. That shines. Parents, they get to play the part of Jesus. Children get to play the part of Jesus, you get to submit to your parents and obey them and trust them and follow them and allow them to develop you the same way that Jesus submitted and trusted the father. And so in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life. We have some of you guys are junior high school students, high school students. And as you get older, it's you have more and more of your own freedom, your own, your own responsibility, kind of An area of life that's yours. It's very tempting to lie to your parents, to have a secret life. I I work with high school students, and I have for years, and they have a secret life. There's them with their friends, and there's them with their parents. And that's typical. But when you live openly and honestly with your parents, when you trust them, when you love them, when you allow your parents to advise you and coach you, because nobody loves you more than your parents. I mean, your friends weren't there at 3 in the morning when you were 1 and you had a 103 fever. You know, you're screaming at your parents. They didn't throw you out the window. Your friends would have thrown you out the window. It's just your parents are the ones who love you. And when, when a child is, is trusting and obeying their parents, they're actually imitating Christ. They're, they're playing the part of Christ. And that stands out to your friends because I've seen it before. Why are you doing that? Why won't you come? Why won't you say this? Why did you tell them that? Why were you honest? Why didn't you go there? And the answer is, is because I, I'm a Christian and I'm, I'm following Christ and I, He's taking care of me. And there's a promise in here. The promise says you're going to be enjoying your life the most if you do this. It's also true for singles and siblings, and seniors, a lot of S's. Sometimes I get cute. Sounds better on paper. Now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds a little funny. But singles, if you're not married, you also get to play the part of Christ. You get to be a model to your brothers and sisters of someone whose life is devoted and focused on the Lord, where you're trying to learn to love him and serve him with everything you have. As married people, it's easy to get into the idolatry of really loving your spouse who's physically and visibly in front of you more than Christ, and, and to depend, and to draw, and to need, and to, to pull from the marriage more than it really can handle. And as people around you who, uh, maybe they're, they were married, or you know, they're young, whatever, as they walk with God, and they really make their life about Christ, they really spur us on. They're a great example. Yeah, but it's really hard, though. I mean, it's, it's lonely. I mean, it's, it can be a real challenge in our world today to be single. There's a lot of temptation in our culture. How do you keep, keep yourself pure and chaste? And again, Jesus Christ is, is the answer. Not only did he live for 33 years on this earth single, but he still has a body, glorified, resurrected. And he is still waiting for the day when his bride and him are able to consummate the marriage at the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's this, it's this phrase in the Bible. It's the end of time when, when the church finally unites to God. Christ is waiting for that. He's longing for that. He knows what it's like to long and to wait and to want. And he can help and comfort. Siblings, if you have brothers and sisters, and you know we all have brothers and sisters, or you know, people in our lives are like brothers and sisters, we encourage them, we support them, we uphold them the way Christ encourages and supports us. And if you're older, if you're an elder, Christ is an elder, he's the, the firstborn brother of all the children of God, and he advises and he coaches and he helps and he trains and he directs. And for those of you who are older in the family, you have a tremendous amount of influence. You can actually speak into our lives who are younger because you've been there, you've done it, you've seen God come through. And in my life, specifically in my wife and our lives, we have had so much help from people who are elder or older, and they have invested and in helped us. Uh, each person gets to play the part of Jesus. And as each part does this, as each, part of the, each person plays their role and imitates Christ, that family begins to shine more and more and more. And as people get around your family, because people know who you are when they're around your family. You know, you can't, you can't hide your family. When people see the way that you love each other and the way that you're, you're doing this, it, it, it makes them want to know why. And so then you get to spread the gospel. And this is what happened in my wife's family. I like to end with this. Um, my wife's grandparents recently passed away. Bill and Mary Whaley. Yeah, here's a picture of them when they were young. Uh, they weren't Christians like me when uh, they were adults. I, I became a Christian as an adult, and so did they. And the reason why was because this woman who was imitating Jesus, right? Because God came into our world to rescue us. That's what Jesus did. He came into our world to rescue us. So this woman went into their world to rescue them. So she knocked on the door, and they got to talking, and then she came back the next week, and the next week, and the next week, and she shared the Bible and read it with them, and, and they got to know who Jesus is, and then they put their faith and gave their life to Christ. And then their story really began in a whole new way. They had five sons. God bless Mary. Five sons. She had great stories. Really, she did. And uh, he was called to be a pastor later on in life, like in his 40s, I believe. Here's a picture of him at one of the churches he pastored with his sons. And then later on, my father-in-law, his son, Tom, Joy's dad. My wife's name's Joy. Her dad, Tom. He was called to be a pastor. And him and his wife, Carol, they went to Japan. And they started a church there called the Open Door Chapel. And it's still there today. It's led by Japanese men and women. And their households are learning to play the part of Jesus, to love each other. And as they do that, they are spreading the good news of Christ to more and more families in Japan. That's awesome. Nobody's going to know Tom and Carol 25 years from now. No, nobody's going to know Bill and Mary. And nobody's going to know that woman who knocked on the door. But that is the impact across generations. From household to household, that's how the gospel moves. But you know, when they were, when she was sharing with Bill and Mary, I, I'm sure they were looking at her life and saying, is this how you live? It's a great privilege. You're not an accident. This is what God wants to do through all of our households. And uh, I'm excited. I, I'm excited to see uh, what God can do through my household. Now, I haven't been very specific. I haven't said, okay, so the Bible says this command specifically when you're a husband. So I want to give you something real practical. If you want to be if you want to play the part of Jesus as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a brother or sister, as an elder, whatever one I said, if you want to play the part of Jesus better this week, ask two questions. What is one thing I need to start doing that I'm not doing in the role? And what's one thing I need to stop doing that I am doing in the role? You just ask those two questions. God will show you. He'll, he'll give you the, the low-hanging fruit, and you get started there. We do this because we love we love God because he, he, we look at God who, who created us and we rejected and all of the sin in our lives and the way that we are really unworthy to be with him, and yet he loves us and he comes after us and comes after us and comes after us, and he never stops coming after us. And he's so good. And so the word is worthy. He's worthy to be. We, we want to be like Jesus. He's awesome. He's awesome. And because we want that as Christians, we look to these roles and see how we can play them well. One last thing we can do, Randy mentioned this last week, is that Easter's coming up, and Easter is a wonderful time to invite our neighbors to come and discover Christ here in this life-changing community that he has created at Church in the Valley. And all of us are connected to neighbors. We have relatives. There are people in our household. And you know what's interesting is when they ask, when surveyors ask questions of people who come to church or maybe will go to church, say, if someone invited you to go to church, would you come? They'd be like, oh, yeah. In fact, most people who do end up coming to a church come because someone gave them a personal invitation. And it can be really scary to do that. And I just want to encourage you, you don't have to convince anybody. You don't have to push anybody. All you got to do is say five words. Would you like to come? It's a six weeks-ish away. And so I want to encourage you to pray and ask God, who in my life right now am I not seeing that I could invite? Bring people in my path that I can invite. We want to, we want to double people. We, we, we want to fill this place up. This is one of the reasons for CIV. And because of just how good God has been in our lives, we want to share that with with people. So I want to encourage you to consider, if you have someone you can think of right now, write their name on the connection card, and we will be praying for them as a staff and praying for you. Let's go ahead and wrap up by looking at some next steps. Um, if, If God has opened your mind to see something about him, about the way he's wired families, about the potential of your household over generations... If you feel moved to respond in some way, here are some steps you could take. The first is maybe you've never decided to commit your life to Christ. You, 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 you've been around a while. You, you know uh, that you need a relationship with God. You want a relationship with God. And you're convinced that Christ is the one who can give that to you. We would love to help you take those first steps and commit your life to Christ. And You can let us know on the connection card. And we will we'll pray with you and help you. And uh, that may be what you need to do today. Don't wait. If you feel it tapping on your heart today, respond. Number two, choose a household role to play. You know, which one are you? Are you the son, the daughter, the brother, the sister, the mom, the dad? Which role are you? And then play that part like Jesus. What's one thing you need to start doing, one thing you need to stop. And then finally, who can you invite, which I just mentioned? Is there anybody that you can include in this church on Easter? Uh, It's been a privilege to talk to you. I hope this has been helpful. I want to pray and then we'll continue to sing. Father, we, uh, we see how good and loving you are that you would rescue us. We live our lives in rebellion to you. And the more we, we learn your word, the more we see that. But yet you love us. You're overflowing with love, and so you sent your Son. And Lord Jesus, you voluntarily came. You submitted yourself. You, you became one of us. You suffered with us. And you ultimately gave your life so that we could be united. God. We thank you for our salvation and we pray that you would help us learn to imitate you how to how to play the role of Jesus in our lives, and that you would use our households to share the hope and the good news that, that you came to bring in our neighborhoods and in our families. We really do want to play the part you have for us in our generation. We thank you for where you placed us in our family tree. I pray this in Jesus' name.